one more plug for the SALT Conference because when I look back on my college years, there are few tests that I remember. I mean, there's like the really bad one that like I, I can come to mind really quickly, but there are a few tests I remember, but the things that are still impacting me to this day are those weekends that we got away just to worship Jesus with other college students. Like those are what ha- has been driving my life. And so guys, if there's like a busy week next week, it's okay to get a B. Like your life will continue. But what I want to say to you is that these weekends will give you a vision and a direction of what you want to do with the rest of your life. And that is why it's so compelling. And so that's why we, that's why our heart is for you guys to go to one of these conferences. But tonight we are wrapping up our last sermon in the habit series. And so we talked about worship. Colin last week killed it talking about how we, yeah, we are the ones that determine why we are busy. It's our priority of different things that causes us to be busy with what we're busy with. And it's, we're, we're meant to get away and to abide with God in order to walk in joy. And so what habits force us to see, and the reason why we wanted to start a series with this, is that habits force us to ask the question, who are we becoming? Because these habits that we already have in place, whether we think about it or not, are making us into somebody. And Mark Vance, who is going to be speaking this weekend at the conference, had this quote that I just thought was incredible. He said that you are not going to become what you dream of being. You will become what you habitually do. And so who do you want to be? Because that answer is going to be determined by what you are habitually doing in your everyday life. And so these habits that we are asking for you to implement into your life is to make you into the kind of person that you want to be, to make you a man or woman of God, one with incredible faith as you pursue, because there's an end goal to these habits. We want to stir our affections for Christ in everything that we do. And so that is what we are pursuing. We want to know and to delight more in God because he has allowed us to by Jesus, his son, going to the cross. We now can. So let's center our life, prioritize our life on things that make us do that. But we can have a tendency to forget this. Imagine if I was planning a date for my wife, just had Valentine's Day, but you know, not it's everyday Valentine. That's what we want to say. So imagine I was planning a date. And I'm like mapping this thing out, like what would she love? And so I'm like, okay, it's got to be Thai food. And I'm going to go pick up some of her favorite pad thai to go. And then on the way home, I'm going to swing by a flower shop, pick up some flowers for her. And then I'm going to get some chocolate. Anything with caramel is her A game. So that's what I'm going to get. And then maybe I'll even write her a note. Like I'll go the extra mile, write her a little note to encourage her. But then I take all of these things. I go home. And I, I walk in the door and I set them on the counter. And I say, okay, enjoy these. And then I dip. Like that would not go over well. I promise you. I promise you. <laughs> Thank you. Because the reason that I do those things aren't just to do them. It's I want to enhance our joy of a, a relationship together. And so I do those things because I want us to have an amazing night together of enjoying our relationship. So it would be foolish for me just to leave But yet, guys, don't we do this all the time with our walk with Christ? 
like, yeah, I, I opened up my Bible today and I, I read what I need to read or I come to Salt Company and I, I attend Connection Group. I pray enough to say that I'm someone that prays. But we do these things and we implement these rhythms into our life just because there's something we're supposed to do. Like, I'm a Christian now. I, I need to start doing these things. And it becomes more a part of our schedule rather than a stirring of our affections. And so I want to recenter our mindset tonight to be like these habits that we're talking about. The reason that we do them is that we want to be in awe of who God is. We want to delight in him. We want to worship him with our heart. And our, our heart is stirred when we seek to encounter him. And so the big idea tonight is that the end goal of our habits is to encounter God. And what I want for us as we refocus this is for us to see that when we pursue these things for their intended purpose, we are only then going to experience the joy that they're intended to bring. Like when we read scripture, when we pray, when we seek to eliminate hurry from our life in order to encounter God, that is when we will experience the joy. And so tonight we're going to talk about two of the most important habits for us to be implementing into our life as Christians. We're going to be talking about the Bible. We're going to be talking about prayer. And so the Bible being God revealing himself to us. And so our first point is going to be our greatest treasure and prayer being God drawing us into relationship with him being our greatest invitation. And so if, if you guys don't have a Bible, we, we want you to pick up the Bibles from under the chairs. And if you don't have one yourself, feel free to take these home. We want to be people that live by the word, that are changed by the word, and seek to know it more. And if you just want to take one for someone that you know that you want to start walking through the Bible with, feel free to do that. And then you can even say that you bought it for them, whatever works. Um, but... <laughs> Guys, we want to cherish this word. And if you want to pick those up, if you pick up one of those blue ones, flip it to 259, we're going to be looking at Psalm 19, kicking it off with the Bible is our greatest treasure. And so in this passage, David is almost just professing his love for the scriptures. And so we'll kick it off in verse 7 where it says that the the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them, there is great reward. And so as we read this, we just see David starting off with this like poetic love for the Bible. Like it's just this love that's overflowing from his heart, and he's proclaiming how much he loves this book. And even when he says, if it would be compared to much fine gold... I would choose the scriptures. Like imagine, David has a pile of gold or the Bible. And he says, I want the Bible. Some of you are like, why don't you take the gold, buy yourself a Bible, you still have a lot of gold. No, it's like if he had the choice between all the riches in the world or the word of God, he says, I love and long for the word of God. 
And when we read this, I, I know when I read this, it's like, man, I love that. That heart is amazing. But when we look at our own life, when we take an honest look at ourselves, that's not our experience. There's this giant gap that we feel from where we're at in our seats tonight and where David must be with his love for the word. And guys, I just want to let you know, that's, that's a gap that all of us have. And so we're, we're in this together, but he, we feel this gap that I'm not where he's at, and I don't even know where to get started. Because sitting down with the word feels more like a chore for us. Like, if we're just being honest at times, we find the, the word boring. Like, we sit down with it and we read these words that we hear people talking about how much they love, and we're like, man, I'm not having the emotional response that that person is. What, what's wrong with me, or what, how am I reading it wrong? Or maybe we feel paralyzed by not being able to understand what it's truly saying. Like I know whenever I would hear a pastor talk about scripture, I'd be like, okay, I I read that. I don't know how many times I didn't get that. Like I, I don't know where you're pulling this stuff out of, but I don't get to that depth when I read the scriptures. And so we had this overwhelming feeling of like, man, I am unable to understand this word like other people are. And again, we say, what is wrong with me in it? Or to be a fruitful time in the word. I need a couple things. I need my coffee. I need a journal, a pen, a clever caption, and about an hour to sit down with my text in the morning. Like I need it to be this perfect scenario, this perfect situation where I am sitting down. And if I don't get that, then I can't have my time in the word. And in all of this, we feel incredibly defeated. And we, that defeated feeling just makes it so we don't invest the time that we want into the word of God. So guys, for me, a little story is that I grew up in a family that hated board games with all, all of their heart. Like whenever we get together as a family and we kind of gather for vacation, someone said board games, immediately like people cringe. Like no one wants to jump in on board games. And so, of course... When I started dating my now wife um, and I met up with her family, I quickly found out that her family loves all of the board games. And so we had this one night that I vividly remember where they were like, hey, guys, let's play a board game. I just like shut down a little bit. But I'm like, no, I need to make a good impression. Like I, I got to impress this new family. And so I sit down and I start playing the board games and then it's getting to the end. I can't remember what one we were playing, but it's getting to the end. I'm like, OK, I've almost made it. And then they pull out another one. And another one. And I'm like, I don't even know where you're getting these games. Why are we playing so many? And literally in that moment, I had to fight the whole night. Like, I need to act like I'm into this. Like, I need to act like I'm loving this. I'm enjoying, you know, the time around the table, all that stuff. And so I'm, I'm acting like I'm into it. And so from their perspective, they're like, oh, Drake loves himself some board games. Every time Drake comes over, let's play board games. And so every time I come over, they're pulling out more and more and new board games. I'm like, I didn't even know that one existed. And so we sit down and play board games all the time. Guys, I love board games now. No joke. I never saw that coming, especially for my family. But I love these board games. And what, it's, what is true is that there is going to be a long season for 
all of us in this room, when we start sitting down with the Bible, that we aren't going to like it. There is going to be a a season of our life where we don't get the enjoyment out of it that we think we should. We don't get entertained by it. We, We just see it as this bland text. And guys, for me, those seasons have come and gone time and time again. And there's even days that I wake up where I sit down with this word and I read it. And then I get done with it. I'm like, I don't feel any different. I don't, I don't know if that did anything for me today. I don't even know. Like people ask me at three, what did you learn in that time? And I'm like, I can't even remember. And so guys, there are these seasons that we have. And so maybe it's not that I am unable to understand the text. Maybe it's no, we just need to keep digging. Because just as when a seed is planted in the ground, we don't visibly see the fruit right away. There's still something happening beneath the surface. And in those mornings, in those days that we read the word and we don't have that response, we trust God that he is using it to slowly grow our heart to love his word more than anything else in the world. And so know that you are not alone in that. And that is something that we all go through as we learn to love this word because our desires, our sinful desires, don't want to love this text. And John Piper says in his book about reading the word supernaturally, called Reading the Bible Supernaturally, he says, Gradually, our savoring of the supreme worth and beauty of Christ is pushing out of our hearts all competing desires. And guys, that that process of pushing out those competing desires is a slow and gradual process. But what I promise you is that if we continue to come back to the word, it will capture our hearts in a profound way. And so we are unable to get to the point of savoring the scriptures until we learn to sit with them regularly, even when we don't feel like it. And maybe... The gap that some of us feel in this room of where we are at and where David is is because the current habits that we have in our life will never get us to that point. And so I want us to see the importance of us being people that sit down with this text in order to become a people that love the word more than anything else. But why is this book the greatest treasure? Why is it worth us fighting through those difficult days to pursue the joy that's found in them? Guys, this this book is the ultimate authority of our life. Like if you think about it, every all kings, all rulers that has ever existed in this world bow to the words that are found in this book. Every opinion, every thought that has ever happened are under the authority of this word. Like sometimes I think we can think about it as this text, if we were to sit in a circle and have a conversation, this text being another opinion in the circle. It's just on another bench sharing its own opinions. But what we need to see this text as is that this text is above everything else as the ultimate authority. And God gave it to us between in these pages for us to learn and for us to see. And this God who created all things, who is infinite in knowledge, infinite in understanding. If you think about it, like this book seems like a big book. But when you compare it to how much God's knowledge just continues to go on and on and on, and then think these are the words that he chose for us to learn. 
Like these are the ones that he found to be so important for us to have everything we need for life and godliness. These are the words that he spoke through people for us to meditate on. And since it is this infinite God that created this book, since it is the same God that created the world, only when we understand this book will we have a proper lens to see the rest of the world. Only when we read this book will we understand the difficulties of why do bad things happen, will we understand the purpose for our life, why we are even here, is found in this book. Like a lot of us, instead of going to the Bible, we go to the most crazy resource to determine what our life should be about and what we should live every day for. You know what that is? Ourself. We believe that our own minds with the limited knowledge that we have actually has a better answer than what God, the infinite God, wrote between these pages. Or we go to a friend who I can tell you also has a limited sense of knowledge when it compares to the infinite God that we serve. And these are the words that he gave us. And so I want us to see that this is what I want you to begin digging into. And spending time to learn and to grow and to love it more and more. Because in it, it will become sweet. Sweeter than honey from the honeycomb, as David says. And that is a promise that God has for us. Because he uses it by his spirit to change our heart. Like if you look at Psalm 19, verse 13. This isn't on the screens. It says, keep back your servant also from the presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. That word for blameless is the same exact word he uses when he says that the law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect and blameless. So when we read this word, it has an incredible way of beginning to make us more and more perfect like God himself. And so that is why this word is to be our greatest treasure. That is why we are to pursue to know it with everything we have. But how do we begin this process? Because it's great to know like how, how great this is, but how do we tomorrow morning when we sit down and open up the scriptures, how do we begin doing that? And so I want to give you a couple rhythms from my life that have been extremely helpful And so we're going to go through three. The first one is going to be to slow down with the text. And I'm going to give you a series of questions as well as a practical or a practice to do to learn how to study the text more and more. And so four simple questions that you can do is what does this text say about God? Because I think we need to change the way we read scripture to see we are reading the scriptures to see ultimately about God's glory and not how he can answer problems from our life. And so first we say, what does this say about God? Next, what does it say about what he has done? Third, what does it say about man, humankind? And then lastly, how should my life change as a result of this? And guys, those four simple questions will dig you even deeper into the text than just reading it and just being like, okay, I kind of get the main idea of it. But to read through it once and then be like, okay, now I want to look for what does this text say about God? I'm going to read it again and jot down some notes about that. And then continue to go through those questions. A practice that you can do if you have a little bit more time to sit down with the text is choose 10 verses and make 10 observations. 
So sit down, make 10 observations of the text, and then what I want you to do is to go back and make 10 more. And then continue to go, because what that shows you is how to slow down, how to look, how to dig for the treasures that are found in this text. The second thing I want to go over is to memorize the word in order to dwell on it. Guys, this word brings life to our souls. And so for us to have words that we memorize, that we can meditate on as we're walking to class, that we can meditate on while we are driving in traffic, the words that we can have in difficult situations of life, that we can share these words of truth, words that we can remind ourselves when we lay our head down at night and only, the only thing that's flooding to our mind is worry and anxiety and guilt. We can come back with these words. And so for us to take some time to memorize it, one thing that's helpful for me with that is just to have a verse on a note card. And every time you go to a class, every time you leave a class, every time you hop on a bus, you pull that out and you read that one time. By the end of the day, you will get very good at reciting that or just having it as the background of your phone. And then before you open any other app, you read that one time. And again, this is just to create a rhythm where we seek to be people that memorize and cherish this word. Again, doing it not just to give a list of what we've memorized, but in order to encounter and delight in God. And then the last one is actually one that Colin um, told me he's been sharing with his guys. And that was just five minutes is worth it. Because I think a lot of us, as we get hurried in the morning, or maybe you hit that snooze button a couple times, And you're like on your way out the door and you're like, man, I don't have a half hour. I can't do this. But even to know that five minutes in this text in your day is going to continue that process of God working on your heart to cause you to delight in him more and more. And guys, as we study to know and understand God more, it will begin to change the way that we communicate with him as well. And so we're going to go into our second point right now, which is, that prayer is our greatest invitation. And I want you to flip, if you have uh, a Bible, to Matthew 26. If you have a blue one, 45. That will get you to the right spot. Um, And we're going to be looking at Matthew 26, verses 36 to 39. And right here is a scene of Jesus going to a garden to pray. And he's doing this right before he's about to be handed over and arrested and crucified. And so Matthew 26, verse 36 through 39, starting in 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will be done. And so what I want to do in this part is I want to make five observations of Jesus in this moment. And so the first one is that Jesus is incredibly dependent. Jesus is the most dependent person to ever walk on this earth. And in one of the most difficult moments of his life where he knows he's about to be arrested, he knows he's about to be turned over to be crucified. 
he sees it as valid to step away and to pray. Why is that? Because he realizes how dependent he is upon his father. And then every moment of life, he needs to run to him in prayer. And how much we pray shows how dependent we are on God. And so what does your prayer life reveal about your relationship with God? As Colin mentioned last week, maybe it's just that we are incredibly busy. But what we're actually communicating is that I'm not dependent on God. I don't need him in these areas of our life where we know we have time for binge watching Netflix or we get that little notification once a week of how much time we spend on our screens. We, we realize that there is that. I'm convicted by that too, so I, I get it. <laughs> but we realize that these things in front of us that we choose to be busy with is what we are more dependent on. And I want us to see that the underlying reason that we don't pray is not that we're too busy, but that we don't feel as helpless as we actually are. And when we feel that dependence, that is when we will run to our Father in prayer. Second thing, Jesus is extremely real with his death. Like, when I read this story, it kind of shocks me a little bit. Because I'm like, Jesus, why would you even ask that? Because what he's essentially asking his dad is, would you allow it to be another way so that I don't have to go to the cross, so that I don't have to take your wrath, so that I don't have to take the penalty for the humankind's sin? Can you make it another way? But Jesus has existed for all of eternity. He knows that there is absolutely no other way for God to welcome us back in, but for him to go to the cross. He knows that there's, man, no amount of good works, there's no amount of Bible reading or prayer that could ever offset the sin that is in our lives. Why would he even ask that question? And I think it's that Jesus knows that God is his father. He knows that he is God's kid. He knows that he is able to bring everything to his father, his, his hurts, his longings, his joys. He's able to bring those to his father because his father delights to hear from his kid. Guys, I, I love being a, an uncle. And I love, yeah, all stages except for there's one stage of their lives that really gets me. And that is the why stage. And that is when you're hanging out and literally anything. I could be eating an orange. It's like, why are you eating that orange? I'm like, well, I like them. Why do you like them? And so they just keep going on and on. I get impatient with it. Like I turn it around on them. Like, why do you like it? And they don't know how to answer. So I'm like, hey, end of conversation. But there was one day that I I remember where I was watching Travis, who is my brother-in-law and their dad, just sitting down with their boy as he was like, why is this this way? And he goes into this full explanation and is just really patient with them. And then he says, why again? And he goes into this full explanation and is walking through this with his kid. And the kid continues to ask why and why and why. And every time his father is patient and there to hear from him. Why is that the case? Because Travis loves and delights to hear from his kid. Travis enjoys time with his kid and he will sit there patiently to to walk through these things 
Do you understand that that is how God looks at you? Do you understand that God sees you as his kid that he delights in? He doesn't look down with a furrowed brow. He doesn't look down in disappointment. He doesn't look down in you need to be doing better than you're doing. No, he, he looks down in delight and is longing for us to come to him with every single hurt that is in our hearts. And so we don't have to come to this, him in this polished form. Like this Sunday school posture where we're only saying nice things to him and we're only talking about scripture or talking in these run-on sentences where we feel like we need to be elegant. No, he wants the real you in prayer because only when we reveal our real selves to him is he able to work on our real selves. Only when we actually bring the frustration and anger that's going on in our life is he able to work on those things. And so I want you to be a people that like if, if there's anger and frustration, even at God, bring those to him. Wrestle through all of your emotions and what's going on in your heart. He wants to hear from you. He delights to hear from his kid because if we don't do that, we're going to find another way. Whether it's escaping the pain of life by watching endless shows on Netflix, whether it's looking at pornography, whether it's just letting the fear that's in our hearts snowball and cripple us. God is there saying, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He is asking us to draw in because he is a father that delights in his kid. Third thing, Jesus prays repeatedly. So if we were to continue reading that story, Jesus comes back, finds his disciples asleep, and then kind of yells at them for a little bit. And then he goes back and prays again. And then he comes back, sees his disciples sleeping again, and he goes and prays. He prays three times. And so for me, it was amazing that he even prayed that prayer once. But to go back three different times, it shows that he is wrestling with his father in prayer. He is continuing to go back to him. And it caused me to look at my life. Like how often I throw up a prayer one time, treating God like a genie, and then I just wait to see if my wish is granted. How often do I kind of lose hope or lose trust that God cares and I just stop. But what us continuing to pray does not mean, and it's, it's not that we didn't trust God heard us the first time or that we don't trust that he can actually do something so we have to go back to him. No, what is happening when we continue to go to him in prayer and even repeating the same prayers to him is that it is forming us to be the dependent people that pray. Is making us more and more into the people that are realizing our helplessness and run to our Father in prayer. And sometimes God has something better for us than to simply answer our prayer requests right then, but rather He wants to grow us to be a people that are dependent upon Him and experience the joy that that life brings. And so we are to be people that pray repeatedly, that continue to ask, continue to knock, and wait for God. In those moments. Fourth thing, Jesus ends with your will be done. Jesus declares his need before the God. Before God. He, he declares his need before his Father. He doesn't hold back, but at the end, he says, Thy will be done, which is saying, God, I ultimately trust that your will is what's best. And this is a very hard thing to pray. Like, it's hard for me to bring my request for before God and then say, thy will be done. Because what if his will isn't what I want? 
And I get to the end of my prayer and I think about saying, I'm like, ah, I'll just cut off here. Amen. But guys, what is happening when we say thy will be done? And as we wrestle with God in prayer, as it is forming us to be a people that enjoy and delight in his will more and more. Because we begin to see and trust when we say thy will be done, that his will is actually good for us. It causes us to love the things that he loves, to delight in the things that he delights in. And only when we wrestle in prayer will we become the people of God that we want to be. Only when we converse and, and live in this relationship that we have been welcomed into will that be the case. Fifth thing, Jesus' prayer went unanswered. And this is crazy for us to think about. Like Jesus, the guy that performed miracles, the guy that calmed the storms, the guy that fed the thousands with a few loaves. Like he brings a request before his dad. And that, that request, yeah, it was heard by his father, but it wasn't granted. And so it's important for us to hear because one of my biggest reasons that I don't pray is that I, don't, I doubt that it's going to actually work. Like I doubt, like, does God even hear me? Because at times prayer just feels like I'm just throwing these words up and nothing's going to end up happening. Does God care to act on my prayers? And there's this doubt that comes in that like, is my faith strong enough? Like, do I have enough faith to ask of these things? But what we see in this text is that it's not about how much faith we have, but rather that God has a better and good plan for us and for his glory. Because Jesus had all the faith in the world and his prayer was denied. And so we need to realize and understand in these moments that we just trust if our prayers go unanswered, we trust God, your will be done. And it is a better one for my life. It is a better one for your glory to be made known. And when we think about this, I think we would all say that we are thankful that Jesus's prayer went unanswered. Because the reality is, is if that happened, all of us would have to earn our right before God. And that is impossible. But because Jesus' prayer was unanswered, he had to go to the cross. He had to take the penalty for our sin. He had to take the beating. He had to take the wrath from his father for our sin. And he had to die in, in our place for what we have done. But then he rose from the grave and he now gives us his perfection. And so if you're in here tonight, I want you to know that is something that you can freely have. Jesus already took all of your junk. He took your past sins and he took all the sins that you will do the rest of your life. And he paid the penalty for that on the cross. And he says, here, have my perfection. Walk in the reality that you're a perfect, beloved child of the Father. Know that you can understand the word with the spirit of God in you. Know that you can run to your dad who is perfect in every single way. And that you can enjoy a relationship with him all because Jesus' prayer went unanswered. God's glory was made so much greater. And so how do we begin to be people that pray? And guys, with all these rhythms, I, I want us to not try to go out from here and just like try to knock them all out. It's like 
in the next week, in the next two weeks, what's one of these that you can begin working on? And the first one is just to pray scripture back to God. And so as you read the scriptures, pray it back to God. Like what words you're seeing, like one for me is just to go to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then I begin thinking and wrestling with God like, Lord, what does it mean that you are my shepherd? What does it mean that I shall not want anything because you are my shepherd? Like, forgive me for all the things that I feel like I need, for all the things I need for security, for all the things I need for comfort when you are my shepherd. And we slowly walk through scripture and pray God's word back to himself. And it begins to form our heart to love the things that God God loves. Second, write down your requests. And you could be someone who writes in your journal for days. That's not me. I... I just want to write down my requests and bullets. Like, I want to pray for this. I want, to, I want to pray for this person. I want to pray for this to happen on this campus. I want to pray for this to happen at the conference. But I want to have it written down so I could look back and see what God answered. Because only when we see that are we going to be thankful for him answering that prayer. And are we going to have our heart growing to pray more? And so we need to be able to reflect on the things that we ask God and then lastly, set aside intentional time to pray. Even if it's a couple minutes, you set a reminder on your phone throughout your day, and it's just a quick prayer. Or for me, at least once a week, I like to take an hour where I just go on a prayer walk. And that could be just listening to worship music. That could be just thinking. That could, but throughout that, I am spending intentional time in prayer. We need to find time throughout our days, throughout our weeks, to sit down with our Father in order to build that relationship with Him and strengthen our love and trust in Him. So again, this habit series is to cause us to stop and look at who are the people we are becoming based on the habits that we are doing. And what are some simple habits that we can tweak that will dramatically change who we're going to become down the road? And what would it look like for us to implement rhythms of diving into this word and digging into this word and prayer to grow our affections for God. Guys, because that's the ultimate goal is that we want to worship and we want to be satisfied in who God is. And he gives us the words to delight in him. Let's pray.